One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/achieve today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you Everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's Thursday, the 19th of March. It's on the continent on Football Ramble Daily. I'm Luke Moore. And I'm Andy Brassel. Andy, how you doing? Yeah, good. It turns out it's quite difficult to say my name. Yeah, we had a couple of goes at that, didn't we? Because it's all very different, but yeah. uh, we got there in the end. Yeah, we, cert- we certainly did. We certainly did. It's been I a- think it's also quite interesting because um, people will think of you as being the model pro in this arrangement and think of me <laughs> as being all over the place. But in that case, they were wrong. <laughs> it's because you're directing operations more than you normally are. I, I, I would say that's the, that's the issue here. I mean, what you're trying to say is if that were even possible, I'm being more bossy than I usually am, <laughs> which I don't know if that is possible, but I think over the next few weeks, we are going to find out. Um, we, we are are you bearing up in the current situation? Are you doing okay? Uh, yeah, good. Um, it's, it's good to be uh, still getting out there as, as, as Football Ramble Daily. It's great to have everyone uh, tweeting us and emailing us and, and responding. Yeah. That's That's been something that, well, I, I said it on Jules and Andy and I said it when we tweeted it out afterwards, but we really do appreciate it more than ever. It's it's, it's really nice. And it's not just for content. It's, it's just lovely to to connect when everyone's indoors, I think. I completely agree. Yeah, absolutely right. And I think actually you've just reminded me there that I mean, you're recording a mailbag um, episode with Marcus later, aren't you, for um, Patreon subscribers? Yes. And I a am. few people may have seen our um, the tweet that went out earlier this week about um, what we anticipate to be the kind of parlous state of the advertising industry and the fact that there's no football. So if people can um, donate and contribute and um, and become a Patreon subscriber, uh, that'd be really much appreciated. It's a great offer. I think there's a lot of extra bits and pieces people can avail themselves of for as little as five dollars a month so patreon.com forward slash football ramble daily is the place to do that and thank you very much to everyone who's um who's done that so far i'll put another call out on the previous show tomorrow with the rest of the gang um, um just to remind people but if you can do that it's patreon.com forward slash football ramble daily okay so let's get stuck into the main the main story of of well what i think is the main story of the day of course there are still 
Um, well, there is still no football at all, pretty much everywhere in Europe, with the exception of Turkey, I think. And we'll come on to them a little bit later because there, there's some actual football to talk about there. So we don't want to ignore that. But I think the big story for us, Andy, since um, we last recorded a live episode, which was you with Jules on Tuesday, is that Euro 2020 has been officially postponed until 2021. Just give us a, a flavour of, of, of what that means beyond the obvious, obviously, and, 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 and what your thoughts are on that. Well, as you said, Luke, it's what we expected. Um, it, was, it was the only thing to do, really, um, and not only because it was completely impractical to have a tournament over so many different countries at, at the worst possible time and, and the fact that you know we probably won't be ready to, to to play football again by then and certainly not in front of spectators um but i think really it's it's all the knock-ons um the reason that all the different leagues across europe were waiting for uh, this this teleconference is because um they needed some sort of surety from UEFA, even though a lot of stuff is, is is still penciled in. So they could start to make their own tentative plans. And that's all they are at the moment, tentative plans. And all the stuff we're seeing about um, how Serie A might be split over two seasons, um, the, the, the thing that's come out in the Spanish media today about Javier Tebas, the president of La Liga, and his idea for a... Um, some sort of calendar to, to to finish the season should things sort of calm down to a to a reasonable level. These can only be uh, projections and speculations so far as as we know. We've no idea um, how long this is going to last and how long Europe is is, is going to be indoors. Really, um, but what we did get, which I think is very important, from um, the, the the UEFA um, decision and and the meeting is the fact that um, not not only is, is this summer and beyond free for domestic leagues to, to be completed, but that rather than being uh, finished, scrapped, cancelled or wiped, um, the Champions League or Europa League are simply indefinitely suspended. Now, this is really important because leagues were having to look at how they would come to a conclusion of who would be their Champions League representatives or Europa League representatives uh, going into next season. Um, because, of course, we've got qualifiers and group stages and all that sort of stuff projected on, yeah. on, on, the, on the horizon in, in, in late, late summer. Um, now that pressure has been taken away, uh, that gives uh, leagues a bit more leeway to, to work things out. And so whether we're looking at a truncated domestic season in 2021, a truncated Champions League in 2021, we really don't know. But what it means is there is room for these domestic leagues to work with. We have to say, when we, when we look at Euro 2020 itself, and <clears throat> pardon me, and it's moved forward to, to it's moved back, I should say, to, to 2021, what that means is there'll be knock-on effects for other UEFA competitions like the the Women's Euro, which was due to happen in, in, in 2021, and the Under-21 Euro. Now, <clears throat> I know some people, some supporters of the women's game are, are quite disappointed because um, they'd hoped there could be a, a sort of dual jamboree between the men's Euro and the women's Euro off off the back. Yeah, that's of it. what I anticipated would happen. I thought I thought I thought automatically they would run concurrently. Um, and but the thing is, the situation is so fluid, mm. and it feels to me a lot of the news that's being put out by different football associations and by UEFA and, and FIFA is that they feel to me they smack massively of just buy buying each other more time every time they do it. Who was it? I mean, it was it was either you who were saying earlier in the week or someone else was saying that. Um, I forget who it was that came out and said it, but they said <clears throat> a solid plan in the morning is now at the moment not not viable or workable by the afternoon. Yes, so Freddie, Freddie Bobic said that. Um, the sporting right, director yeah, of Eintracht right. Frankfurt. Yeah, I, I mean, I, th right. I think for, for for me in terms of um, the women's Euro, I think putting it back to 2022 makes makes a lot of sense. I, I can understand people talk about this month long. Um, what two month long celebration of football and how that would be such a huge boost to each other. I do understand that point of view, but for, for me, the idea of 
the women's game being subordinate in any way to the men's game is is, is not a great prospect. And I think especially with yeah, the, 20, tricky, the 2022 World Cup being moved to the end of the year, so there being no particular competition for it, I think the women's game deserves to be centre stage and deserves to have its own summer, really. Yeah. And and so on, on these two UEFA working groups that have been set up, one to kind of look at the calendar and one to look at the financial side. And I think you did mention it in that in that piece you just did there, but just, just to reiterate, if you did mention it, that this idea about the 30th of June, that's a preferred date, right? Again, that feeds back into what I was saying a second ago about this. It's a nice to have. It's a kind of the best working case scenario at this point. Yes. But it's not, it's not a... Um, it's not a um, a set in stone date just yet, but to just talk to us a bit about this these two working groups that they've set up and when we expect to see any kind of more information coming out. Will it be a case of that they won't be able to give us any information at the moment because the situation is still so fluid? Yeah, that's absolutely right. So um, I, I would expect the financial um, group, the group dealing with the, the economic implications of um, various postponements to be... Um, active more quickly really or to provide projections concrete projections more quickly um because even though as you say is also fluid the fact that clubs are going to be losing money hand over fist is something that's real that's evident no matter how long this lasts so that's something that's going to have to be dealt with immediately now this also feeds into financial fair play luke because um there are clubs that are clearly going to be in breach of those um, regulations that wouldn't have been in breach of them before. So um, there's every expectation that um, UEFA and um, the FFP board will, will give them that little bit of extra leeway and understand in the circumstances. And we've seen this before when you've had in, in countries like uh, Russia, uh, Ukraine, Turkey, their finances crash and that affects the exchange rate with the euro. Um, so that they've, they've given them a, a, a bit of extra time and a bit of extra wriggle room to, to, to deal with that. So there is precedent for, for, for doing it. Um, what they've been talking about in, in France this morning is that clubs that were already in breach of FFP are unlikely to get away with it just because this situation has arrived. So Marseille, for example, and we'll come to the whole Leon Marseille thing, which is wholly unedifying later. Um, but Marseille, who um, look like they're in breach of FFP rules and have, have got a lot of work to do on their finances. What happened before this crisis um, is, is not going to be wiped out by what's happened in the, in, in the last two, three, four weeks. Yeah. And on, on the economic side, I mean, I don't know if you saw, I mean, presumably you did, but for those listening who haven't seen it, there were some um, really strange and, and quite problematic comments coming from um, Dortmund CEO Aki Vatska mm. about the idea of the bigger clubs, in quotes, um, um, help helping out the smaller clubs financially. Now, I think... It's, it's a bit of a red herring, I think, because, of course, any kind of economic measures that need to be taken to, to, to protect clubs in, the, in light of what's happening here, you'd expect to be some kind of orchestrated top-down kind of solution and not a piecemeal type thing where bigger clubs help smaller clubs. But nevertheless, Vatska did say, um, at the end of the day, the clubs who have made the effort to put a bit of money aside, in this case, of course, talking about his own club, um, these past years, can't reward those who have not. We're running businesses on a market and we're in competition. I mean, in terms of the timing and the... Um, and, and the lack of sensitivity there. I mean, it's an awful message to be putting out there. But does it show, I mean, first of all, what are your thoughts on that? And secondly, does it show just that that um, we're starting to see um, clubs, whether they're big or small, really start to worry about their own survival and what this means for them going forward? Well, it suggests a short memory, doesn't it, Luke? Because in 2005, yeah, yeah. they were yeah. um, having creditors hold off and he was a huge part of that Aki Vatska. that's the reason that Borussia Dortmund are, are still here and have progressed to, to, to this point they uh, I noticed were, that Dietmar Hopp jumped straight in there to try and protect his own his own reputation by saying no I'll be a good guy about it come on everyone <laughs> after what he's been going through <laughs> you know, it's, it's an opportunity for him isn't he I mean you know the guy who it, was being uh, Hopp was being ripped on the terraces 
um, yeah. a, a week and a week and a half now he's ago. Now he wants to style himself as this new kind of Robin Hood type character, which is a great opportunity for him. I think he sees it's so it, funny how these people react to this kind of stuff. It is, it is interesting because of of course he's for a lot of Germany, Dietmar Hopp, come out as a as a hero for uh, saying. No, Donald Trump, I will not sell you the vaccine if we come yeah. up with it. You know, so, yeah. um, but I, I think a lot of people who, who followed Dietmar Hopp and, and, and followed his journey know that the, the two sides of him are different. He's a very complex character anyway, because um, what the ultras have, have, have been getting on him for is his involvement with football. No one's ever denied that this is a guy who's great philanthropist who's done a lot for cancer patients that's totally different to the football-based complaints that that people and especially ultra groups in germany have about him so the two things have to be held separate um but but going back to to vatska i mean you know they they famously borrowed money from Bayern in in in, in 2005 to to keep going i think We've talked a lot about this in, in in a UK context, of course, because you know we know there are going to be lots of clubs, and Jules and I spoke about it on Jules and Andy on, on Tuesday, who are, are going to be in trouble um, and, and are going to need a lot of help out there from League One downwards. But I think when you go to other European leagues, and Germany's not separate from this, even though there are some very well-supported clubs in the Bundesliga sphere, there are clubs higher up the pyramid who are going to be affected because um, there's not the same money outside the top flight um, that there is in England in, in in pretty much every other European country. So I'm sure we'll come to um, Portugal and, and, and Spain when we when we get a little bit further down the line um, in, in the show. Um, but, you know, there are definitely clubs that, that have got an issue. I mean, it's something that I, I wrote about in my um, Bundesliga column in The Guardian on Monday. The fact that... Um, Football clubs in Germany, as part of their in the top two divisions, as part of their TV deal, uh, are due the final tranche of uh, TV money um, between now and the end of the, the the season. It's around 300, 304 million euros. Now, Bayern uh, is it's not divided equally; it's d- divided differently. And th- I guess this goes back to what Vatska was t- talking about. But um, Bayern are due, I, I think about 10% of that. So about 30, 32 million, something something around that, just a little bit over 10%. Um, if they don't get that money, if the games don't happen, say, that will sting. There's no doubt about that. It's, it's, it's a significant amount of money to lose. But once you get down to the bottom of the second tier and the lesser money clubs there, like Osnabrück and Sandhausen, who we saw the other week, of course. I mean, that seems like about five years ago, yeah. doesn't it? Um, yeah, it does. But the, if they don't get their 2 million or 2.3 million, that is going to put them in serious trouble, especially with the loss of, of match day revenue. So I, I think to, to, to say or even suggest that, you know, we can't help these clubs. I mean, it's nonsense. All I would say is at the moment, there is a lot of nonsense being spoken because there is, is, is precious little certainty for people to work with. And people are panicking at every level of society, whether it be in the boardroom at Borussia Dortmund or Bayern or, or, or whether it be, you know, a single mum on, on an estate trying to trying to bring up three kids. You know, everyone's got their, their challenges and we've kind of got to cut everyone a bit of slack, haven't we? Absolutely. But do do you? But just to, just to just to clarify though. But do you see whatever happens coming out of this um, this this financial UEFA working group? Is 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 there going to be a kind of one size fits all, top down, big organisational effort to help these clubs, or is it going to be left to the relative national organisations to sort it out? And and. It, presumably it's going to be one of those two. It's not going to be a case of what Vatska seems to be suggesting that, um, oh, we're not going to, we're not going to chuck a lot of our personal money at these smaller clubs. Cause why should we? Because the reason I asked that Andy is chiefly because as far as I understand it, UEFA, for example, get the vast majority of their money from the tournaments they host, not from the, the, the TV rights, which they instantly just pass most of which onto the straight onto the, onto the clubs. So and they're and they're having to postpone that tournament for a year. So I'm just trying to think about how this would work 
in, in, in of course as we keep saying in what is a very fluid situation it just doesn't seem that clear to me as to what's going to happen now of course i know that this financial working group is, is set up expressly for this purpose but i'm just asking you to if you can maybe try and predict the, the action they might take well i don't think there can be a, a, a one-size-fits-all luca i think that's pretty clear because yeah. as, as we've touched on the, the the challenges and the structures of the, the different countries are so different um but on the other hand it's clear that um uefa do have cash reserves and cash reserves which they've tapped into already i mean there were stories at the start of the week that they would demand um towards 300 million euros from the national associations to um, right. postpone Euro uh, 2020. Um, That's but, right. Yeah. Um, Alexander Seferin was really firm on the, the fact that that had never been on the, the, the table. He, he was, he was pretty clear about that. And um, I think we've, we've seen actually from Seferin's behavior, not just now, but over, over the last year or so that he's someone who has, quite quite a bluntness quite a straightforwardness that's quite welcome from someone in in, in that sort of role I, I think although you know the proof will only be in in the, in the coming months and um what what they're able to to do um but certainly they can they can strongly encourage um clubs to to do something and uh to to put something in um i don't know if it will work in terms of um teams clubs that they, they feel have historically contributed to the, the competition but i don't think it just has to be that because if you look at the fact that uefa makes a lot of social investments in facilities in grassroots in community projects so i don't think it necessarily has to be directly related to the champions league i think they can take a broader remit on this and even though they tend to step back from interfering in in national issues on the whole. And I think that's quite right because national um, associations and federations should take responsibility for keeping their own house in order. I do think they can step mm. out of that a little bit and contribute a little bit more this time and it seems they're willing to. Well, we'll watch that, seri- um, that, uh, that issue kind of develop with interest, I guess. I mean, I've got a feeling that we're in a situation now where by the time we come around to recording again, um, on the continent next week, um, it's going to be completely different because the yeah. news is moving so rapidly. Just, just, just finally on on before we we kind of wrap up this little section and and, and move on to the other some of the other countries we want to talk about. Um, the player contracts issue, um, which I guess kind of taps in slightly into this working group by UEFA, really the calendar side of things. But if we focus on on the player contract issue, um, clearly that UEFA want to wrap up seasons where they can or, or the, the national associations want to wrap up football seasons where they can by the 30th of June, chiefly because of, of player contracts. Mm. Um, of course, whether that will happen or not, it remains to be seen as we keep saying. But one thing that I really wanted to bring up that you mentioned, that you just mentioned fleetingly on Tuesday with Jules, is this idea that in Portugal and I think some other countries as well, there's a there's an almost a business as usual aspect to these contracts. If they're not renewed, they carry on until further notice, uh, as they were. Now, is that is that true? And if it is, can you give us a bit more detail? And are there any other countries where you understand that to be the case as well? Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the the difference is that. Uh... Um, in Portugal, they've talked about it being part of the league statutes in extraordinary situations, as, as I mentioned on Tuesday. The fact that if a contract runs out, there's provision to extend it without signing anything else on the current terms for, for an indefinite period until it, it, it comes to some sort of end. Um, I, I think in, in this situation, that would be highly desirable if there was some sort of transfer amnesty. Now, I've no idea the legality of that in in, in the statutes of all the different leagues over Europe. But yeah. to, to me, I would compare it to, um, I don't know, say if you have a, a mobile phone contract, for example, if it your 12-month or 18-month uh, mobile phone contract runs out, if you don't do anything, it often continues on similar terms. That to me seems the most reasonable way of doing it, if that is at all possible, because 
I think, and we've got, um, it's from Estadio Deportivo today in, in, in Spain. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, Javier Terras's um, uh, penciled in uh, calendar for the rest of the season. So that La Liga will resume on the 16th of May and go through until the 11th of July. That um, the Champions League might resume on the 19th of May and with the final on the 27th of June. That all seems enormously optimistic to me at, at the moment. And I'm sure to, mm. a, to a lot of people, to you and to a lot of people listening as well. Um, so I think while it's, a, as you said at the top, a guideline, I think we have to project forward thinking that it won't all be resolved by then. We have to give ourselves a, a little bit more time. And I think in this situation, to have some sort of transfer amnesty would be a, a, a pretty good idea and a, a pretty fair to work with situation, I think. And so he consequent in his angle. He has stood in a big camp, I think, Mons Krog. Ole Bjørn, certainly. And again, unsikkerhed David James. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. This episode of the Football Ramble is sponsored by BetterHelp. Life throws many different challenges at us, and as a result, we all have our own sources of stress. Whether big or small, those stresses can impact our lives in unpredictable ways, and if we don't address them, they can have an outsized and unwanted impact. Therapy is a safe place in which we can address these issues, learn to understand them, and find ways to work through them. Having therapy can be beneficial to anybody, not just people who've experienced major traumas, even if you may have not considered it before. It could be simply a time for you to get things off your chest, a way to learn positive coping skills or how to set boundaries. Ultimately, it can be whatever you need it to be. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire and BetterHelp will match you to a licensed therapist. You can even switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash ramble today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com forward slash ramble. Turning our attention to Spain then, a tragic story coming out of, of Malaga. A youth team coach at a Malaga-based club has died of, of complications arising from coronavirus. Um, Francisco Garcia of Atletico Portada Alta had an undiagnosed form of leukemia, which only revealed itself when he was being treated for symptoms of the virus. It's a really tragic story, as I say, and the reason I include it is, is just because it throws into pretty stark focus if people need more reminding that this is a very, very real thing. Um, and it is worth bearing in mind that this is going to have serious implications. And the big picture here is to make sure as many people as possible stay safe and healthy. So so, so let's bear that in mind. Um, but moving on to the, to the football itself, the head of the Spanish FA, Luis Rubiales, um, appears to be fairly... I mean, can you be fairly furious? I'm just going to say furious. Um, yeah, I don't clubs. think you need the conditioning word there. No. 
He seems very upset with clubs for getting um, corona testing kits in when they're in short supply. He called it unpatriotic. Of course, we've seen a lot of football players um, testing positive for the virus. About 35% of the players and staff Valencia, for example, um, Blaise Matuidi as well, and obviously all sorts of, of players in Italy and in England, uh, to name just a few. Um, what do you make of this story uh, and, and Rubiales' take on it and, and how forceful he's been? Is it is it a good thing? I think it probably is, isn't it? Well, there, there, are, there are two ways we have to look at this. Uh, I mean, firstly, uh, the fact that I think people do have to be more public-spirited and not think... Of, of just what's inside their bubble, I, th- I think that's that's yeah. that's very important. Um, but on the other hand, I think we have to paint it in the context of the fact that uh, La Liga and the RFEF, the Spanish FA, have been at loggerheads for a very, very long time. So that's, yeah. that's something we have to bear in mind. It's something that came up when we were talking about the Martin Brathwaite situation. In the you know, really, it was a, a formality that Barcelona would be able to do that because. Um, the league rules provided for it already. And the RFEF was saying, well, we have to, we have to sanction it first. Well, there were seven other cases of a, a similar sort of transfer situation outside window uh, to make up for long-term injured uh, so far this season. And they didn't get involved in any of those. So it was just a, a case of throwing weight around. What I did think was really interesting is uh, Valladolid, of course, they're, they're, president their majority shareholder is uh, Ronaldo they um, took the step of formally rejecting uh, La Liga's offer of coronavirus tests um, because that they felt that other other people needed them more um, which was a, yeah. a, a pretty great thing to see and a pretty great gesture I thought yeah I, I think so and I think I think what needs to happen in these in these times of crisis across the board is is good solid strong kind of leadership and making sensible decisions, then we know that we can assume, I think, that if if you are a young, fit athlete and you're not showing any symptoms, you probably don't need to be tested. What you need to do is go home and, and self-isolate if someone in the squad's got it mm. and, and do the decent thing. Um, that Spain is, I mean, as far as I understand it, um, behind Italy, Spain has been hit the second hardest by this virus so far and they really need all the resources and all the help they can get. And it's only right that um, people play their part in that and leadership positions um, such as the type that Luis Rubiales holds um, are obviously really important. Uh, We don't want to see it turn into a kind of point scoring exercise between La Liga and the Spanish FA though, do we? Which is inevitably what will happen. (laughs) I said that with a kind of... uh, a kind of depressing amount of inevitability <laughs> because next week it's almost certain that's what's going to have happened, right? Yeah, I, I, I think so. I think so. And um, Rubiales has, has had a, a strange old time in, in charge of the RFEF because bear in mind, he'd um, been in charge six weeks when Hulan Lopetegui up and left for Real Madrid on, on on the eve of the World Cup, and he felt forced to to, to sack him afterwards. I mean, Rubiales' own position um, has, has been under some scrutiny in the last little while. Of course, we talked on OTC about Ike Casillas uh, standing yeah. uh, for for election of, of as, as RFEF president, and of course, he's going to have a lot of high profile backers in the game. And I would say he'll probably getting, be getting the vote of a, a certain Mr. Jay Tebas as, as, as well. Um, but it's, it's interesting. I think it's another... Do you want to see my manifesto, Javier? No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> Don't, so your name's not Luis Rubiales. Okay, I'll vote for you. Uh, yeah. I, 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 I think that's it. You're the candidate for me. But yeah. I, I think this is another interesting side effect of what's happening at, at the moment. And there are so many side effects that we're going to become more and more aware of as, as, as time goes by. The fact that um, elections, be it for um, uh, boards or for clubs, uh, are perhaps going to change. I mean, they're, they're talking in, in, in Portugal at the moment, the um, FC Porto presidential election is set for uh, 20th, 21st of, of April. And that's surely not going to happen now. And that could have huge effects on on Portuguese football because um, Porto, for those who are unaware, 
have, have not been in great financial shape. They won the league the year before last and the top of the table as as stands at, at the moment as as well. But um, it's, it's not been going swimming in, swimmingly for them on the balance sheet um, for a number of years now. And um, it's one of the reasons why Marco Silva turned down the the Porto job and, and, and decided to go to Watford instead because that, that they offered him this this job and said, okay, well, we need you to cut um, 120 million euros worth of players and win us the league back. And he yeah. said, uh, yeah, I think I've uh, left the oven on. I'll, I'll be back yeah, in a minute. He said, have you seen me coach recently? <laughs> <laughs> that's not going to be possible, I'm afraid. So so that, that's that's what led to Sergio Conceição getting the job in the first place. But Pinto da Costa, bear in mind, Jorge Nuno Pinto da Costa has been the president of FC Porto for 38 years. 38 years. Wow. That's, that's 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 incredible so basic basically um he had challenges for the first time in a long time and that has been put to the side because the election isn't gonna happen now and and that's another way in which it will have an impact on the on the future of that club but also other clubs and other associations and federations yeah, I mean, he, Rubiales has. I mean, going back to Spain, Rubiales has already points scored um, by um, calling Javier Tebas negligent for La Liga not being insured against any losses that would happen um, as a result of the season not being finished. Uh, I don't know the veracity of that statement, but I mean, he's, he's not. He's not passing up an opportunity to stick the boot in. But uh, there's a couple of things that come out of this for me. One is that um, that a lot of these men who are full of their own self-importance and love just gallivanting around their countries and their and, and Europe um, um, just talking about how great they are and how good their leagues are and all the rest of it are going to have absolutely nothing to do over the coming months. So there's going to be some mad stuff coming out. Uh, and well, secondly, Javier Tevas I mean, will, t- will find a point to like, you know, stick the boot into Manchester City and Paris Saint-Germain, even though they're not doing anything at the moment, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I always certainly. But but one thing you touched on there, and I'm, 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 we're not going to, we're not going to have time to talk about every single country in Europe t- today as, as we as we never do but but something that actually initially as I understand it came from the head of the FA in Italy I believe but is, is it appears to be at least obliquely backed up by Rubiales who says um, we don't know when the competition will restart we're in the hands of what the health authorities say and we can't guess mm. the future he says there is no date but one of the plan is to extend the season as long as necessary now an idea that came out of Italy originally as I say I believe is to almost stretch this season across two seasons. So you have obviously a far um, smaller amount of football for what would effectively be 2021, but it goes it goes towards finishing 1920. So you almost go back to a situation where, it, like it was a generation or two ago, where there's not quite as much football, but it's stretched out across a longer time. And then when it comes back round to the summer, we have the Euros as we would have done this year, but we have the next summer. And then the, st- the season starts again uh, in earnest um, the following autumn. What do you think about that idea? And and do you think that's going to sort of garner any support among the powers that be? I think it's an interesting idea and it's worth considering just from the point of view of, of what you were saying, Luke, of, of less football. Because I think what's been abundantly clear from the very early stages of this crisis, I mean the very early stages of this crisis, is that we just have too much football. There's no wriggle room in the calendar for even a yeah, couple cr- of... exactly. I, can, of, I think exactly the same. I felt that straight away, yeah. And you know what I mean? I, I think as well that the, the, the fact that we're all having to uh, come to terms with quite big lifestyle changes um as, as maybe said to us well do we, do we need football every night of the week really yeah do, do we need football every night of the week i mean we, we all love it but it's nice as something Andy, to, i think you're absolutely right it's like, nice as something to look forward to as well isn't it whereas absolutely i was just gonna say that a lot of the um a lot of the and this is anecdotal but on the radio show i do every week um there is i mean even before coronavirus set in and, and, and came along, I, I definitely noticed among my colleagues and among listeners who would get in touch that there was a developing fatigue at the sheer amount of football that was happening 
um, just constantly. It was never ending. You'd never have any break in, in either either during the week or at the end of a, of a season or whatever. There's nothing. So I wonder whether this will give people this tragic event will give people pause for thought about how they do things going forward. And that idea that it's the Italian um, head of the FA uh, sort of mooted might well be a solution to that, mightn't it? Yeah, I mean, I wonder that as well, Luke. And I also think that the fact is, if we're if we're being brutally realistic, there are a lot of clubs that might not survive. So maybe it's easier to thin football out from that point maybe we have no option maybe but to to, to thin football out from, from from this point onwards who knows um but i do think it's something that's that's worth considering and i think as we come back to to something approaching normality whether that be in in six months or or, or nine months or, or or whenever um there's going to be a need to to ration it because, of course, it's been said time and time again, at some point we're going to have to find a point for... It's not just a case of, okay, we're ready to play in mid-May, we're ready to play in June, let's go and play three games a week in, in, until in, until like we've, we've got all our fixture obligations done. You know, yeah. there's going to have to be some sort of mini pre-season and, and all the rest of it, isn't there? So it's, it's all going to take a, a bit of time. As I said on Jules and Andy on Tuesday, I quite firmly believe that that finishing this season is the priority ahead of starting next season because um if something has to be written off it has to be something that's not started rather than something that's 75 percent done and I, I quite strongly believe that um mm. but yeah i, I mean <laughs> there, there's gonna have to be flexibility there's no doubt about that Heading across to to France, then Andy. I mean, you mentioned earlier. I mean, you 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 pre-promoted earlier. You teaser trailed earlier something that I think we can all get behind in these uh, difficult times, which is um, what you've termed, and these are your words on our shared running order, not mine. An unseemly spat between Lyon and Marseille, um, who have really sort of rolled their sleeves up and got stuck into each other about how the league should finish. Um, tell us a bit about that and and what you think the upshot of that will be. Well, the, the two presidents, um, Leon Jean-Michel Olas and Jacques Riero of um, Marseille. Who do you um, prefer, by the way? Who, who's your favourite? Of, of the presidents. Are you in the blue corner or the red corner? Well, you know, I think uh, you have to say Olas is the, the, the Mac Daddy of football. Should I say the blue corner and the white, or the white corner? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the white corner or the white corner. I mean, they're both where the same. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you have to yeah. say that that, that Olas is, is is as I said the Mac Daddy of all um, football club presidents, <laughs> not just in France, um, because of his brass balls, which will become totally apparent about forty five seconds down the line if you're not already familiar. Andy, what about the Montpellier president? He was the king at one point. He, he really, it really was. Sadly, no longer with us, Lulu yeah. Nicolas. Uh, his son Nicolas Laurent now 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 runs the club and and, and does a terrific job. But uh, Errol is actually very uh, new age and apparently quite handy in a martial arts type situation. So uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't really? think we should make it show policy to, to upset him. Um, no. But um, when, when we look at this spat, I mean, uh, Olas has been labelled as a sort of French Karen Brady for coming out and having the suggestion that maybe, the, maybe the season should be wiped. And he didn't say, I think the season should be wiped. He said it was one of the possibilities if we can't finish the season to wipe the season. And all the caveats are, are lost at this time in this com- in all of these conversations. And I, I realise that. Um, but um, Marseille and um, Errol, the president, um, in, in a newspaper interview that he gave in response to this, uh, reacted quite badly to this. Dimitri Payet um, got stuck in on on Twitter and got involved. And I'm sure we'll come to Payet a, a little more when we talk about France and, and, and the Euros and we talk about 
the knock-on effect of the Euros for all these teams um, in, in, a, in a little bit. But um, basically, if we boil it down, um, Olas thinks or seems to think that if we um, if we finish it now, we'll get to hold on to our Champions League place, which is going to be quite hard for us to to hold on to. And Errol is thinking, mm. as when we referred to Marseille's financial difficulties earlier, um, we can't afford to not get in the Champions League. So they're both equally self-interested in uh, this situation. And of course, it's their job as presidents to, to have an eye on the financial implications of this. Because we have to know what, you know, we, we all want some sort of football to come back to. So they have to deal with all this stuff that seems distasteful now. And I, I think that's something that we we have to accept. But Noel Legrette, who's the uh, head of the FFF, the French FA, had to separate them last week. Since then, Jean-Michel Olas has suggested, well, I suppose another idea about deciding who qualifies for the Champions League, we could look at historic performance over the last three years or the last five years. You're like, oh, come on, man. Are you kidding? The old Argentinian, the old Argentinian solution for River Plate. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> and he's also uh, threatened to sue uh, Jacques Henriero as well. So even though they've been told by uh, Legret, look, this is really inappropriate. Can you just pack it in? They've kind of continued anyway. Yeah, and, and what's going to happen, I can see it now, is if we, if we are without football for three or four months, this show is going to become almost like a, a Heat magazine gossip column about European uh, presidents and chairmen of football clubs. Let's hope so. Let's hope so. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm thinking... I, for one, I'm here for it. I'm thinking maybe uh, one of one of our, our very talented uh, backroom team could get working on some sort of uh, redo. Of, do you remember that um, MTV show, Celebrity Deathmatch? I, th- I think it would be uh, <laughs> yeah. really nice to see uh, Olas and Errol get in the ring or, you know, yeah. nominated um, other sort of person, a ringer. I think Olas would need a ringer because whereas he's the most sharp-tongued of presidents, like I said, Errol is a bit handy. I love the I love the idea of saying to producer Charlie, "All right, Charlie, you've been doing a great job, but um, what are you like at stop motion clay animation? <laughs> because uh, we really want to do celebrity deathmatch." But um, the thing is, the reason I'm here for it in terms of turning this into a Heat magazine style gossip uh, show is because you make me watch a lot of football that, frankly, I am not interested in. <laughs> and we're gonna- we're going to talk about Turkey and the nil-nil draw that came up between Galatasaray and uh, Besiktas later. But uh, b- before we do that, let's um, let's mention something you just um, you just alluded to, um, which is an interesting discussion in L'Equipe in France about how the extra year uh, time between now and when the Euro starts might affect the French squad. Now, I've got sympathy for L'Equipe here because obviously, like the rest of us. They're scratching around trying to fill their fill their content their content um, promises, um, and they've talked about um, I believe about whether Giroud might be a bit too old. Bit of a shame for him because it might come a year too late for him. But on the other hand, players exciting young players like Upamecano, who's looked amazing uh, recently uh, for, for for RB Leipzig, and one or two others um, might find that they're even more ready than they are now. Um, it's it's an interesting situation, isn't it? It's an interesting angle. Yeah, it absolutely is. And I think you could apply it to a, a lot of countries. But um, the way they were looking at France, I think you pointed out Giroud. P- Payet is another one. You know, by the time Euro 2021 comes about, he'll be 34. I mean, I don't know about you, yeah. but I never feel that I'm getting old by dint of my own age. But when you figure out that Dimitri Payet's 34, you're like, Jesus I must what? be really getting yeah. on a bit now. Um, so still, I'm, still probably the highest assist maker at West Ham over the last 10 years or something. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, he's someone who's had an unbelievable season so far. And we've talked about it quite a lot on OTC this season. The fact that financially they needed, needed to bin him at the start of the season. They couldn't find a taker. They're quite obviously trying to bin him as well, but he's just knuckled down and produced one of his best ever seasons. He's been absolutely amazing for them. And... You know, but players when they fall off in the thirties, they fall off pretty quickly. And you mm. know, will things have changed in terms of the competition? As as you say, by this t- t- time next year, if you talk about the competition directly for Payet, I think Usemawa uh, at Lyon has been brilliant this season, and 
Oh, he's a great player. Oh, well, he'll probably be at an even... You look at his age, you look at his quality, he'll be at an even better place, I think. It's not just that, Andy. It's the year. games he's played as well. 21, he's already... What's he, what's he done? He's played about... Um, he must have done almost three complete seasons for Leon already. Yeah, and he's he's, he's played in in huge European matches in the Champions League and Europa League. He was he was fantastic against uh, Juventus in the first leg of the the, the, the Champions League last sixteen game. Yeah. Uh, and also the the other thing, and this is a sort of two pronged dilemma, I suppose for for Marseille, is Florian Tovan, who's missed all but what half an hour of this season, has has come mm. back into training and come back into training just as things were starting to shut down. So not only is he someone who would be a direct competitor for the Marseille squad, uh, for, for um, the French squad, for Dimitri Payet, despite them being teammates. And Tovon, there's no way he would have made the Euros. There's absolutely no way he would have made the mm. Euros, even if he'd had a fantastic last month of the season, which I still think is a bit of a stretch given what a long layoff he's coming back from. Um, but they've got something to watch because he's only got a year left of his contract. His contract expires in, in 2021. So, you know, you heard it here first. He could be the ultimate free transfer signing when it when it comes to 2021 and football is hopefully back in, in full swing. But I think this extrapolates to other countries as well. I mean, I think Leroy Sané is a big one that people were... We're looking at. I think it would have been immensely difficult for Yogi Love to justify picking him for the Euros um, this summer if if it was going to happen this summer. With Euro twenty twenty one, he could be one of the absolute stars of it. He could be Bayern Munich's best player by then. Who knows? <laughs> so you know there 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 are so many different things that could could change in in that meantime. So it's gonna it's gonna help some players and take away from others. I guess the question I've got for you, Luke, is do you think by Euro 2021, Germany will have come around to their senses and made Marc-Andre Tostegen the, the number well, one? I was about even, to say. even if it means moving Manuel Neuer into midfield. I was about, yeah, I was about to say, you say that about Leroy Sané and Yogi Love, but Leroy Sané will probably be knocking Love's door down saying, I saw what you did with Neuer in the, in the World Cup. <laughs> <laughs> So there's a precedent there. <laughs> I want a bit of that action. <laughs> yeah, we'll wait and see what happens. I suppose it's 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 a really. I mean, look, the 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 really important thing is we must keep stressing is that people stay safe and that people yes. look after each other and 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 football is is essentially an irrelevance in a situation like this. And we know that, but we are making a football show, so. I do think it's fair for us to say that it's a shame for players that some of the players there you've mentioned who are coming towards the end of their careers who are having um you know some 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 players are having a really good um you know Indian summer to their careers mm. a few that you haven't mentioned a couple based in England players like Jamie Vardy or whatever and and through no fault of their own this is this is probably going to be um, a difficult thing to resolve and so we have to we have to um feel, feel for them I particularly feel for Olivier Giroud who was it's looked to me was probably in the first um, act of what was going to be a bit of an Indian summer, a bit of a renaissance at Chelsea. And you'd hope because he was so important to them in the World Cup for France as well. That looks far less likely to happen now. So it's going to be a, probably a real regret of his. But, yeah, you know, we must press on. We must we must live our lives. Yeah, you're right. And it would have been so perfect for him because he was getting himself back into Nick at a tremendous level for Chelsea. And at the same time, he didn't have too much in the tank because he'd not played no. at all in the in the first half of the season. So it's almost the the perfect balance for him. What I say is, when do we get to the point where Deschamps decides he's too old? Let's bring Gignac back from his Mexican holiday. <laughs> now, now you're talking. Okay, because everyone listening has been very, very good and very well behaved and really earned their right for us to talk about some actual football. Um, we're going to cross over to Turkey, and the good news is um, there was there was, there was a, a few games that happened. In fact, did all the games happen? Andy? I think they did. Didn't yeah, they, they behind they, closed doors. They did. Yeah. They did. We want to focus on a couple of them though. Um, and first of all, I want to focus on Trabs on Spore one, um, Basak Shahir one, chiefly because Andy. Um, Turkey was doing what I personally like it 
doing, which is just bringing out the hits. And I'm talking about <laughs> Ember Bar opening the scoring. And I'm talking about it being wrapped up as a draw with a Martin Skirt alone goal. I'm talking about Gail Clichy marauding down the left flank at the age of 34. I'm talking about Alexander Soros up front and not scoring for Trabs on Sport. It's got everything you need. Tell us about it. it well, it, it has, um, but it's it's a rare thing not to see Sorlot score this season because he's been in an absolutely unbelievable form. I mean, there are many amongst us uh, who who love former Premier League players who are hoping for the the dream partnership between him and Daniel Sturridge, and obviously that didn't really pan out um, mm. because it would have been Sorlot this star billing. He's been absolutely unbelievable. So got nineteen goals in the league this season, I believe. It's incredible. It, it, it mm. really, it really is, and. Um, they're hoping to to hang on to him in a, in, in a sort of long-term situation. I, I won't upset the listeners by talking not just about Martin Skirtle's own goal, but the fact that he now has hair, which I don't think that anyone who's unaware of that, I mean, you can't unhear that, can you really? <laughs> no, I think you're doing a real public service there because I think if, if people didn't realise that and they were they were given that as, a, as an image, it would be a real shock to the system. Yeah, maybe, I suppose, if it was to like, pop up on an internet search, and there will be lots of bored internet searches over the coming like, like weeks and <laughs> Mate, months, right there. So. Not about football, though, won't <laughs> Maybe not, maybe not. Yeah. But, um, yeah, Denver Barr has, has, has been unbelievable. I mean, if you look at a guy who's, like, you know, 34, he's had some really serious injuries in, yeah. in, in his career. Current form... And it was it was a terrific finish for the goal. Uh, he had he had another couple of opportunities as well, a couple of good saves by the by the goalkeeper. Uh, his last ten games for Bajik Shahir, nine goals, four assists. I mean, there's really no arguing with that. And there's a reason why Rubinho, and you didn't mention him, is on the bench. I was going to say, if, I don't know what um, Okan Burak is playing at when they're chasing the game and not bringing on a 36 year old Rubinho. Um, but I will be having if I see him, I'll be having words about that because that is an absolute dereliction of duty, in my opinion. <laughs> well, I, I think it was it was difficult to know how to approach the game because this is a huge game at the top of the table. These these are the top two in the Turkish Super League as as yeah. fans at the moment. The Turkish Super League, which as we record, is still running. Get your head around that. Even mm. Russia. The Russian Premier League, which played last weekend, and we saw uh, Zenit beat Ural seven uh, one. That was suspended um, on Wednesday until April tenth at, at, at the earliest. All Russian professional football was stopped, and yet Turkey's still going. And I think because you know Trabzon is one of the most hostile places to play in the Turkish Super League. Uh, and it, it was very difficult, I think, for the players and maybe even the, the, the Bajik Shahir players to, to get their head around that. And the first half was very tentative, but the second half was really hell for leather. Very, very impressive indeed. And um, Bajik Shahir will be a little bit disappointed that they didn't, didn't hold on. But you could tell that both teams were finding it difficult whether to know, whether to to stick or twist. I mean, when you, when you look at the other big game in the, the Turkish Super League, which was between... Um, Galatasaray and Bajiktas, the, the, the Istanbul derby. I mean, um, me and Sam of Set Meals fame uh, went out to that for at the match. What well, that that would have been mm. um, ten months ago. And Sam was saying to me, it's the noisiest football match he's ever been to by a long, long way. And then we well, an Arsenal. <laughs> A fair point, a fair point. But then you, then you fast forward 10 months and, you know, it's it's one of the matches in, in Turkish football and you can hear the players shouting at each other. I mean, I, I don't think it's, it's, it's wrong to bring up again. It's particularly strange given how, the juxtaposition, isn't it, of yeah, what you're used to. I don't think it's, worth, it's wrong to bring up again just how weird it is and um yeah. fatty tarim spoke about it afterwards he said you know we're facing a global problem um you've got um state of emergencies school shut down all the other major leagues in the world have been suspended and you know it's it's ridiculous uh, i mean he he brought up the fact that you know in terms of the accredited people so the um press people stewards team support as well as all the players. He said there's 850 accredited people here. You know, you, you can't say it's not dangerous. And, you know, some of the other players 
went a little bit further. Fernando Muslera says, look, we just don't want to play. Galatasaray's long-serving goalkeeper said, we just don't want to play. John Obi Mikel, of course, of Trabs on Sport, ended up cancelling his contract earlier this week by mutual consent because he'd said on, on Twitter before the game, I'm scared and I don't want to play. And um, Falcao had, had, had pitched in on his, 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 his Twitter feed, and, uh, his, his Instagram feed, sorry, and uh, uh, agreed with him. So we're seeing a lot of things change rapidly, as we've seen in other football environments and in, in other parts of the world, just in, in, in general society in, in, in the last little while. I mean, Galatasaray closed their... Um, uh, th- their superstore, which is just down from Taksim Square, where they um, it's, it's always busy day and night, um, flogging Galatasaray stuff, and 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 that's been shut indefinitely. Um, all the players were on their way to training at Floria, their training ground yesterday, and they got a message from the club to say, "Look, we might have an issue, so can everyone just stay at home today?" So it, it really kind of beggars belief. Way it's still going on, um, mm-hmm. b- but as stands, the games at the weekend are set to happen behind closed doors again. Yeah, it's a crazy situation. I think, um, I think uh, as as we keep saying, this is it's moving so fast that you wonder whether that will change even between now and the weekend because we didn't see <clears throat> the Premier League fixtures last week, which feels about three months ago now. But last week, um, the Premier League fixtures were postponed very late weren't they so it could ha- the same thing could happen in Turkey if they decide to, to change it yeah and the Bundesliga, um, right, the Bundesliga fixtures were, were put back even even later I mean they were they were right. until mid-afternoon they were going to be play, playing behind closed doors but sense, right, right, sense right, prevailed okay. eventually Absolutely. All right, Andy, that's about as much as we've got time for, I think, for OTC today. Um, thank you very much for your insight, as ever. It's always really great to, to, to chat to you. And um, we'll be back tomorrow on Football Ramble Daily with the preview show, Marcus, Jim and I. Um, um, business is going to carry on in terms of us producing shows and making them and releasing for you guys um, as, as, as normal. We're just doing it remotely because that's the most important and right thing to do in the current situation. Um, I did mention at the start of the show, um, and just to just to reiterate, um, patreon.com forward slash football ramble daily is uh, really important for us at the moment. So if you could support us over there, we'd appreciate it. Um, all that's left for me to say is uh, stay safe, make sure you wash your hands, and Andy, I will see you again soon. Will do. Look forward to it, mate. Take care of yourselves. was a Stakhanov production. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.